You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 142. Where is the anti-human trafficking movement going? Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, one of the really great pleasures um, you and I have both had in being advocates for the work we're doing is being able to meet wonderful people who uh, just have a tremendous care concern and also uh, just a wonderful talent for helping uh, in this area. And one of uh, the dear friends that we've uh, had the chance to build a relationship with over the years at the Global Center for Women and Justice is today's guest. I'm really excited that uh, she's back. And our guest today is Laura Letterer. Uh, Laura is the uh, president and founder of Global Centurion. She founded and directed the Protection Project at Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government in 1997. And from 2001 to 2009, she served as Senior Advisor on Trafficking in Persons to Undersecretary of State for Democracy and Global Affairs, Paula Dobriansky, and then Senior Director of Global Projects in the Office to Monitor and Combat Trafficking in Persons at the U.S. Department of State. Uh, during that time, she was also the executive director of the Senior Policy Operating Group on Trafficking in Persons, a high-level policy group that staffed the president's cabinet-level interagency task force on trafficking in persons. In 2010, Dr. Letterer founded Global Centurion, a nonprofit organization dedicated to eradicating modern slavery by focusing on the demand side of the problem, the perpetrators, exploiters, buyers, and end-users of human beings seeking to prevent modern slavery at its source. Mm -hmm. And under her leadership, Global Centurion has developed significant demand-focused research and programs. We've talked about it on the show before, Sandy. I'm really glad we'll get into more details, I'm sure, today, um, including sector-specific trainings for the U.S. Department of Defense, designed and conducted innovative research on the health consequences of trafficking, and so many other things. Uh, the, the list is so long, Sandy, we could spend probably just uh, 10 or 15 minutes talking about all the contributions Laura's made. Laura, we're so glad to have you back. Welcome uh, back to the show. I'm glad to be here. So uh, when I chose the title for today's episode, I wanted to position us to look at where we are going, what direction we're going. And everybody knows that if you're going to plan a trip, you have to know where you started first. So I thought it would be great. Um, you're such an amazing leader and you've led through um, the initial modern slavery um, development of the abolitionists here and and as we've transitioned after the TVPA and a couple of the different reauthorizations. So we'd just love to hear from you about the history of the anti-trafficking movement in our modern um, contemporary time. 
Well, Sandy, you know, it's amazing when I think about it. It's been over 15 years since we drafted and passed the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. And um, uh, when we first started this work, hardly anybody had heard about trafficking. Hardly anybody was in the field working on trafficking. And now um, I think one of the, the, the greatest rewards uh, of the work, the early work we did is that we have so many people in the trenches now. We have a a real um, human rights movement, a global human rights movement that um, has uh, emerged and um, uh, and particularly, uh, I'm 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 so um, glad that the younger generation is taking this on because uh, I think it's going to take uh, that kind of uh, people power to get to get the job done. So when you think about it, I mean, um, I think the 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 word human trafficking first came into the lexicon probably about um, 1993, 94. And um, uh, I think that's the first news article that I saw using that phrase. Um, We were working on issues like this before. We called it commercial sexual exploitation of women and children. And there were some of us working on this in the 70s um, and 80s. um, And one of the early... um, Prussian books was Kathleen Berry's Female Sexual Slavery, um, in which she documented all of the um, the, the, the the kinds of, of things we call sex trafficking now, um, uh, all around the world, and and um, made a compelling case for the need for uh, you know um, action on every front. And um, and I think that and a couple of other early movements, there was an um, international tribunal on violence against women um, in 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 um, the Netherlands, um, and I, I think that was probably 1986 or something, 1980, I, I guess. Um, and they and there uh, they covered and and connected the dots between all the different forms of violence against women, and and part of that was. Um, uh, what we now know as, as sex trafficking, and so um, those kinds of early, very early um, leadership in the 20th century um, helped us to begin to um, uh, shape that new movement that 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 came. Um, probably, I'd say 1997, 98, we had our first wake-up call in the United States, um, a really terrible case called the Kadena case that that um, that um, made the front pages and helped everybody understand that th- this was a, a, a really serious issue happening, not just around the world, but also in the United States, and we had to, t- to do something. And you're actually working on putting all this together in a book that we could use like here at Vanguard University in a class, right? I am. I'm working on a book um, on using primary source materials, um, going all the way back really to the 16th century, where the very first petition, the, the first, uh, we, we, we know that there were early abolitionists that, that, um, that had to, sort of t- took action. There was a, 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 um, a very uh, outspoken guy who stood in the snow in front of the church, churches and, and uh, sort of preached against uh, slavery in the 16th century. But the very first pamphlet, the first thing that went down on paper was 1688 um, in Germantown, a Germantown petition against slavery, a minute against slavery they called it, and it was a Quaker pamphlet, and, um, and it outlined 
the, um, the, the, the reasons why good people um, needed to take action against, against slavery. And um, so I'm going all the way back to those kinds of documents. And, but, and then fast forwarding to the 20th century, I do 16th to 19th, 19th century in one chapter, and then fast forward to the 20th century and those early feminists that I, I was just talking about. And then I spend the rest of the book on the um, 21st century and, and the emerging um, anti-trafficking movement and the the um, uh, the complexities of it. I mean, it, it, you know, um, I, I have to smile now because when we first passed the the Trafficking Victims Protection Act in the year 2000, a couple of people said, "Well, you know." Isn't your work done? You know, you've got the law now. Your work is done. And and we all looked at each other and said, no, now the work is just beginning. Now we have to implement this law and we have to make sure that other countries have laws like this all over the world. And so um, I do think that in a way we are at the beginning still of the movement. I would say, you know, we've we've had about 10 good years after the TVPA passed where we've um, you know, we focused in on um, what needed to be done, and and I've said this before to you that that we started with the victim side, and the the law is called the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, and rightly so because as we began to uncover um, uh, um, victims and and hear their stories and hear the terrible things that had happened to them, we knew that the very first thing we had to do was create uh, shelters or homes and sets of services, comprehensive services that that um, would help um, would help these um, uh, victims recover. Um, and so I think the focus for the first five years after the Trafficking Victims Protection Act was on the um, the, the the victim side, on the on the um, you know the men, women, and children who were trafficked. And I want to talk about labor trafficking too, not just sex trafficking. Um, um, and you know what could be done to help them. And about 2004, 2005, a couple of us started, looked at each other and said, my gosh, everywhere we turn, we're uncovering victims. And there are more and more types of trafficking. You know Polaris Project is now saying they, have, they recognize 25 different forms of trafficking. I read that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and, and so, um, you know, just and, and realizing the complexities of it and, and, um, and, and saying to ourselves, we could be rescuing victims forever if we don't have just, just step back a bit and um, get some perspective on this and figure out, um, you know, what drives this. And, and, and it was about that point that um, um, some of us, Norm, the late Norma Hotelling, um, uh, Donna Hughes um, at Rhode Island, um, and a couple of others uh, started talking about uh, the demand side of, of trafficking and the, the buyers. And, and I put together a tri- what I call a triangle of activity. Um, that is, so it's, it's not just victims that we're talking about in trafficking. We're talking about the, the distributors, um, the, 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 the victims are the men, women, and children who are the supply. And the, the um, top of the triangle is the distributors. Those are the traffickers, and they would do the, something else if they didn't make so much money off this. And then the, the side of the triangle that is most neglected is that demand side, whether you're talking about labor trafficking, sex trafficking, organ trafficking. Who are those buyers? Why do they buy? Um, and and um, what can we do to um, both educate them and stop them if they can't be educated? Um, um, and um, 
and and that demand side of the triangle, I think we 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 started to focus on it, and I think for the next three to four years, I I I would hear it all the time, but it was just rhetoric. Um, but now we really are starting to develop a series of of um, uh, approaches. Uh, on the demand side that are, that are you know substantive and uh, programs that 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 can really address the demand side and um and that gives me hope too so that was about 2004 2005 and um and uh and i and i think now we are you know we we're, we're we're pretty evenly distributed on on all sides of the triangle in terms of the the work that's being done and i think now is a great time to take a pause. Um, we've got a new administration. We've got, um, you know, uh, um, lots and lots of people working on this from different perspectives, and to to, to have a, um, just a, a a more thoughtful. Um, I don't want to say more thoughtful because it's not that I think that we haven't been thoughtful up till now, but it's it, it it's time now to assess sort of assess what we've done, how far we've come, and then how far we still need to go. And to really do the kind of, the, 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 the basically the kind of evaluations and, um, uh, you know, um, hard look, research, and other kinds of things that will help us um, understand what works and what doesn't work. So the, uh, you know, backing up just a little bit, because I know you were part of the protection project, and that's where our, our three Ps um came out of is that right well uh, actually i think the the pre- prevention prosecution and protection and assistance which are the three p's that are the framework for the trafficking victims mm-hmm. protection act um uh I, I think it's a little bit of 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 everything um so we were working on at the protection project we were working on the laws worldwide we were collecting all the old laws the involuntary servitude debt bondage um old slavery laws 100 year old laws that were still on the books in every in in many countries and but still good law um and then uh, that body of law around commercial sexual exploitation so prostitution pimping pandering procuring maintaining a brothel soliciting all of those laws in our country those those laws are state generated, but in in other countries, there there's a body of law on the books that that addresses that. And there were old internet, what I call international movement laws, which were prohibited the movement of a young girl across um, national borders for purposes of prostitution. Um, and those laws arose, you know, in the um, uh, early 20th century, when, when there was the they call it white slavery, but there was also yellow slavery, and and you know there were all kinds of of, of uh, races and yeah, we and had diversity back then, didn't we? Yes, I, I say I like to say exploiters are equal opportunity <laughs> exploiters, um, um, but um, so. Um, I, the, those laws we wanted to collect in a database because uh, we wanted to see, did we need new law um, or w- was, were the laws on the books sufficient? And at that time, the mainstream human rights uh, organizations like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International were telling us, we don't need any new laws. Just use the kidnapping laws, use the rape laws, you know. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and, and so after this analysis of the laws that were on the book, we came to the conclusion that 
um, that the laws were inadequate, that they, they didn't address these new forms of, of uh, slavery that we were seeing emerge, um, where people were being transported uh, you know, vast distances across Atlantic oceans um, uh, to do somebody else's bidding for somebody else's gain, or where people were being just transported around the corner, you know, mm -hmm. in their own city and being bought and sold. And so, so, um, and that was right about the time of the Kadena case. So um, the Protection Project had, had assembled all those laws. We had begun to put together the elements of a model law or the elements of a good law, I think is a better way to put it. And um, we were called to Congress by Chris Smith, who, who had a two-page draft of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, and um, it was focused specifically on sex trafficking, and he wanted us to take a look at it and, and tell him how it could be improved. And we started to work on, because um, at that, that point, it was really bare, bare bones. Um, we started to say, well, we want to get to the whole pipeline of activity. That means we have to list every suspect activity, recruiting, transporting, harboring, um, uh, you know, um, um, obtaining um, and purchasing. We have to have all those in in the um, in the definition, and we have to have elements that will help law enforcement be able to go after this. Um, and um, uh, and and indeed, uh, it took two years, but that is what we did. We actually created this this TVPA. Uh, it was an act that that affected. Um, Health and Human Services, Department of Labor, Department of Justice, Department of State, Department of Defense. I mean, every department um, 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 had to, you know, change the way it was doing business because this is such a complex and complicated uh, kind of crime. And so that was in 2000. And then how many times has it been reauthorized? Right. So one wonderful thing about the the way the U.S., um, uh, uh, law works is that uh, every two years um, legislators get a chance to revisit a law that they they um, drafted and passed and see if there are any fixes that they want to put to it and for for the trafficking issue that's been um, you know a real blessing because it um, was impossible to think of everything um, you know um, uh, even when we had all the great heads heads that we had in the room together and we had four two senators and two um, uh, representatives um, who were the lead co-sponsors um, on it, but um, so it's been it, every two years. So it's it's been reauthorized. It was reauthorized in 2003, 2005, 2008, 2013, and now it's up again. Um, and I think um, uh, Representative Chris Smith is looking at um, what the TVPRA for 2017 is going to do. Okay. And so it's a lot of work. A lot of work has so, gone into this. So this history, um, there's, it, you could spend, uh, we could actually have a history of human trafficking course that would be an entire three-unit course and prepare us to look towards this, uh, this the future. And, and I know the last um, reauthorization, I got calls, I got emails, um, and people were a little bit panicked. They thought, oh, no, we have to pass the law all over again, and now we don't have these resources and things like that. And so your explanation of what the reauthorization does is really helpful. Um, but what can we as as members of the faith community, members of uh, people who are nonprofit 
nonprofit leaders, how can we be part of that process in a responsible and educated way? And and the reason I'm asking that is I remember getting sometimes five or six emails a day that if you don't send us money, we won't be able to advocate to get this law passed. And that kind of crisis um, fundraising, I, I really felt wasn't very transparent. And I want the, our listeners to have a, a more solid um, understanding of how we can be modern day abolitionists, how we can advocate with our government officials um, from wherever we are here. Right. Well, um, so so you've said a lot, and let me just take <laughs> you just the, take it the apart. One thing, <laughs> the one the one thing that 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 comes to mind right away. So the, so you're right that the, the 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 each reauthorization builds on the last ones, and they all stand on the shoulders of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, which I would encourage everyone to read. It's not a hard read, um, but it 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 is the infrastructure for everything that we're doing, um, and the brilliance of it was. I mean, I told you it started as a two-page um, draft on sex trafficking, and as we were talking with um, individuals and organizations and other legislators, um, um, some came to us from the human rights movement and said, you have to add labor trafficking to this. And, and, and I remember Representative Smith said, no, I'll do that in another bill. I don't want to mix apples and oranges. And um, Martina Vandenberg, who was um, at uh, Human Rights Watch at that point, said, you can't. If you, if you don't add labor trafficking, it'll never pass because uh, on its own, because Chamber of Commerce and others will, you know, be too too jumpy about it. And so, um, uh, if we're going to deal with it, we have to we have to deal with it in this. This is our one chance. And so we did. We took it on. And it, the elements of labor trafficking are are a little bit different, and it presents itself a little bit differently. But we added that uh, to the mix. And um, and I think that was one of the one of the brilliant things that that. Um, uh, uh, you know, one of the in the, the in the first draft, but each of the these um, new drafts, the way these fixes emerge is by um, people like you and me, as we're uh, going about our anti-trafficking work, finding something that is not working well. And um, I'll just give you an example. I was out in uh, I was out in Utah, and I was meeting with uh, their the head of their medical center um, at, at the University of Utah, Kathy, Dr. Kathy Franchick, and she was telling me a story of um, that happened just recently that kind of um, gave gave their really great anti trafficking movement a, a little bit of a black eye. She said, "Here was this 14 year old who came into the medical center." And um, she was obviously sick, and um, she was, um, and and it was pretty obvious from the the, the you know fifty year old guy that was with her that that um, uh, she was being trafficked. But we weren't quite sure what to to to, to do and how to how to to handle it. And and so we you know, took her aside, um, tried to talk to her, but she wouldn't say what was going wrong with her. And and um, and so we sent her back. Well, it turned out that that 50-year-old man was this, the mother's um, new husband, so her stepfather. And he was selling her to lots of um, different people in his circle. And um, she came back a second time and she was pregnant. 
And um, and uh, she said, well, you know, we weren't on a, we weren't, we thought this was family member. This was so we we didn't really think that that this could be a perpetrator, but we didn't really ask the hard questions. And and um, uh, you know, and then um, sent her back out again, and she came back a third time, and she had um, HIV. <laughs> and and um, she said, well, uh, the, one of my young doctors said. Why the first time somebody comes in when there's even a uh, just a hint that there might be something going wrong? Why don't we do a rape test? Why don't we do a um, an STDs test? And why don't we do a pregnancy test? Why aren't we doing that across the board when we suspect um, you know human trafficking? And and um, and I realized you know he's right, and there's nowhere that that's mandated, and that would be a perfect fix to say look. When you suspect it, you don't even have to know. Let's just do these three tests. Because if we had done that rape test that first time, there would have been the DNA of three guys who had bought her, wow. you know, two hours before. And um, and so everybody is realizing and learning from this. And that kind of learning is what's going into all these um, fi- the, the fixes each, every two years. And that's why um, I'm I'm so proud of the work that we're doing on on this because it's a living document this this and a a living piece of legislation in that it's all our work and uncovering the kind of gaps or you know um uh um things we didn't think of or new um something new that's emerged that um uh will uh, that we can then pinpoint, and uh, usually the reauthorizations are not long, um, but sometimes they are too long, like mm-hmm. 2005, I think it was 108 pages long, and it had everything but the kitchen sink in it, but um, but usually they're, you know, fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this, and they are they come from people just observing what's working and what isn't working. And so that's the first thing I would say is that, um, you know, what, uh, let's ask ourselves what's working in outreach and what's, what's working uh, and what's not. Um, what, a question I have is about all the different kinds of advertising that, that um, we do, um, the anti-trafficking advertising. And I'm not saying this would necessarily be a fix in the TVPRA, but it, it's, it's something we need to ask ourselves. Which of the images that we put out when we advertise our conferences and our, um, our, our seminars and which of the, and, 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 or on our billboards, which of those images really convey, um, what's really going on and help us to educate the public. Is it the, the, you know, the scantily clad young girl um, with her hands bound to a, a um, prison? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's right. Um, I don't think it works, but it's everywhere. And students are particularly drawn to this. I, every time I uh, look over um, a speech I'm giving, the first draft has one of those pictures in it. And I'm trying to, to, to help people to think a little more creatively about what do we want to convey about how this takes place, what we want to learn, um, why it's relevant for people, and, um, uh, you know, and, and, um, and then and go from there. So those are the kinds of things I want to be thinking about um, so- for, for the future, not just for the TVPRA. 
So for, for people listening here, we've got like three minutes to answer one more question. And I think what you said about the images, about demand, about education, not just awareness, um, those are things I'm hearing in my community from other um, nonprofit leaders and um, even government and community leaders. So what? how would you suggest that we position ourselves to be advocates, um, to as, not just for the reauthorization, but so that we can collaborate maybe better in um, in and not do so much a duplication. I guess is kind of where I, my frustration is. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I am. I, I, the word co- collaboration sounds great. I think collaboration without resources drives everybody crazy because everybody's looking to um, uh, borrow the best ideas and um, see if they can get them funded for, for themselves. And so I'm, um, I think one of our biggest tasks is to um, uh, find those with great track records um, who um, as you have said before, ha- are like-minded in terms of thinking about the the dignity and um, and uh, sacredness and worth of every t- intrinsic worth of every human being, and that human beings should not be bought and sold, um, and um, and then come together and 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 locate those resources and and um, uh, you know and then um, share. Um, ideas and 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 uh, collaborate in that way and 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 that um, and again is we have three minutes so uh, that 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 again is is the where we need to I think maybe step back just a bit and and say okay can do we have a moment to pause and try to figure out what is working and how can we do more of that. Um, uh, in the future, and how can we do it together? So, um, this is at least we scratched the surface here, and there's m- much more to discuss. But um, I'll look forward to another podcast for that. Oh, I would love to have you back to finish this conversation and start one or two new ones. All right, thank you. Well, thank you, Sandy and Laura. What, uh, gosh, Sandy, every time we have Laura on, I, one of the first thoughts I have is how much I, I don't know about all the things that have gone on in this movement and just how much more there is to learn. Uh, thank you, Laura, for providing the perspective to us. And Sandy, you know, our, our work isn't done by any means. We have lots more coming on future episodes. Um, I, I wish we didn't. I wish we had our work done, but unfortunately our work is not done. It is still, um, it is still ongoing. And so, uh, we of course uh, are a resource for you. If you're listening and wondering about what's next, what's the advocacy for you? What's the way you can study the issues, be a voice and make a difference. One of them of course is listening to the show, but maybe you're thinking of the next step. Uh, we always love to hear from you. You can reach us by email at gcwj at vanguard.edu. That stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. You can also reach us by phone 714-966-6360. Speaking of staying in touch with us, if you haven't recently gone onto the website, we hope you will and take a moment to leave your email address. We'll keep you up to date on what the center is doing where Sandy's traveling and the next opportunities uh, you have to potentially be helpful. Maybe it's even thinking about the human trafficking certificate we offer. Anyway, we'll see you in uh, two weeks. And uh, Sandy, thanks again. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Laura. Take care.